This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Friday, October 14th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And uh, this is a special uh, post-divisional round podcast. Special in more ways than one. We are recording in the living room. (laughs) And I'm in a recliner, which is different. Uh, That isn't recline. Uh, It's, I guess. More of a rocking chair. Has the feel of a recliner. Yes, so we actually um, intended to record after the Dodgers-Nationals game, or once we did, once we kind of knew the outcome, but that game is still going on. It's 4-3, to three. Dodgers are winning in the bottom of the 7th, but uh, Nationals might score here. So if you hear some background noise, that's what that is, and uh, it's 10.30 Central Time, so we couldn't really put it off any longer. Um, so that's kind of the situation, I guess. As we record, we might change some of our uh, analysis on the National League. I'll, I'll say this. The Cubs are my pick to go to the World Series, no matter who wins this game. Okay. You agree? Uh, well, I picked the Dodgers last podcast, so I think I might have to stick with that. Wow. I just, yeah. I mean, if, if Kershaw, we'll talk about this later, but if Kershaw could pitch like three times, Sort of like Baumgartner in the World Series, I would say maybe the Dodgers, but given that he's probably going to only be able to go game two, game five, game six. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. All right. Well, yeah, this is episode 73. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, We're breaking down the divisional round and then looking ahead to the ALCS and NLCS. Uh, For those that are just listening uh, for the first or second or third time, my name is Peter, like I, like I said. I'm a Cubs fan, and uh, Paul, my twin brother, is a White Sox fan. That's correct, but yeah, not really relevant to uh, mm-hmm. to this podcast. He, um, Paul, you're wearing a uh, Seattle Mariners hat right yeah, now. Yeah, new hat. My tradition is to buy a, a hat every time I have a kid. <laughs> so um, You haven't had the child yet. That's correct. You need to like, break in the hat a little bit, though. So. Are you going to keep it flat, Bill? Haven't decided yet. What's your take? This is the first time you've seen it. Might want to mold it a little bit. Think so? What's the proper term? Bend it? Crease it, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Uh, our Nelly update. Thanks, Sam, for our intro song. Uh, our save Nelly update is that there were 3,922 streams of Hot in Here since our last podcast. That's an increase. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that comes from savenelly.com. Uh, for those that don't know... He has a reported IRS debt of $2.4 million, and so a Save Nelly campaign was started to uh, help raise that money for reasons that we really haven't determined yet, why uh, his fans should want to help him pay his IRS debt. Uh, but he only needs uh, 287,166,562 or more streams uh, to get there. 
another way he's trying to make up money is going on tour. So if you're in Miami, Denver, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, Australia, or New Zealand in the next couple of months, Nelly is coming to your doorstep. Wow, I really wonder how many how many people will show up at those shows. Like, do you think he sells out an arena of fifteen thousand? Uh, definitely in Miami and Denver and Vegas. You think so? Salt Lake City, Australia, and New Zealand. I'd have a hard time, especially Salt Lake City. Okay, let's move on. Um, listener email um, we received. Paul, I uh, thought this was a good question. Uh, you can send us emails, by the way, at afootinthebox at gmail.com. The email reads, I am Patrick Anan, attorney to the late Mr. A.T. Axisa, possibly your relation, who passed away in a car accident in Togo alongside his wife and only daughter. What are you talking about? He left behind a huge estate with a bank here in my country before his death. I have been asked to produce a next of kin before the assets would be declared as abandoned and returned to the government. I have in my possession legal documents that could give you the legal rights this for this is, claim. This is a spam. Send me email. your sincere thoughts about this mail so that we can get started with the process. I await your cooperation. That was a legit email we got? Uh, it was an email that appeared in our inbox. Yes. Wow. <laughs> any, any thoughts? Uh, well, I think I responded with all our information because this is the podcast gold we've been waiting for. This funds everything we want to do. <laughs> did that's you know a, that's we, a really odd spam email. Did you know we um were related to Mr. A.T. Exasa? I don't even know the words you're saying right now. It, how do you spell the... Uh, it's A period, T period, and then the last name is A-X-I-S-A. Maybe. Jason Worth just struck out, by the way. Okay. Well, Harper's still second for all you fantasy owners out there. Let's move on to the actual playoffs, Paul. Um, here's here's how I'd like to start. Yeah. I'd like you to rank uh, the series from uh, least entertaining to most entertaining. Just for me personally? Mm-hmm. And then maybe we can tackle them in that order? Yeah. Uh, Cubs-Giants, most Mo- entertaining. Most entertaining. Dodgers-Nationals, second. Red Sox, Indians third, and then the Rangers, Blue Jays last. I feel like there's a significant drop-off between the National League Series and the American League Series. Yeah, yeah uh, definitely. So you want to start with the Cubs-Giants? Well, I mean, let's go reverse order. Save the best for last. I like it. All right, so starting with the Blue Jays and Rangers, sorry, uh, fans of those teams, um, was just not a great series. Um, most of the games were during the day. Mm-hmm. And I guess two of them were during the day, and the last one was during the presidential debate. So very few people watched any of this series, um, except Canada. Canada watched it a ton, according to the ratings. But Okay, so I had a couple questions for each series that will guide our time. Um, so with this one... First question is, uh, Rangers, just horrible performance, uh, got outscored 22-10 to 10 in this three-game series. Um, were they just lucky all year? Short answer, no. I think they're a decent team. I don't think they were the best team in the American League, like their record indicated. Um, but I think they were probably closer to where the Blue Jays finished, right around 89 wins. Um, the thing that shocks me about the Rangers is, like, they're 1-2, um, starters darvish and hamels like arguably probably top three in all of baseball 
maybe like second behind the Cubs. Yeah, I didn't watch much of Darvish. Was he himself down the stretch? Uh, he had like a, I think a 340 ERA, so not great, but um, you kind of figure he was hitting his stride in the, heading into the postseason. Yeah, it seems, I mean, if you look at their roster, it seems like they should be better. Like, right. of course, they won 95 games. Their run differential is only eight going into the playoffs, and so if you factor the playoffs in, right, negative four for the season. That's so like insane. the Cardinals, Mariners, Astros, and Tigers all had a much better run differential. Yeah, and like uh, if you look at Darvish and Hamill, their combined numbers, they threw eight innings and gave up 11 runs, uh, five homers. Four of those came from um, Hamill. So just, um, or Darvish, excuse me. Um, so just a really bad start. And I guess you can attribute some of that to the Blue Jays lineup, but... um. I don't know. It just it doesn't strike me as the um, the way the series would play out. I thought they'd be low-scoring games if the Rangers were going to get swept. My second question was, what makes the uh, Blue Jays so dangerous in October? Last year, they went on a similar run. Um, what do you think makes them um, so special this time of year? I, I mean, I think they're offense primarily. You figure if you're a starter and you have to go through um, – Donaldson, Encarnacion, Bautista, Tulowitzki, three or four times in a game. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty difficult. And even like, you know, Melvin Upton is their eight hitter. And he didn't have a great year, but he still hit 20 homers. Is that what he goes by now? Yeah. He didn't have a great year by any means. And it's not a, uh, you know, a great outfielder. But he had 20 homers. And so there's just a depth of power throughout the lineup that I think is pretty difficult in the short series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh I looked Tulowitzki, uh, Encarnacion, and Donaldson so far in the playoffs, uh, these three games and then the wild card. Uh, 21 for 41 with 10 uh, extra base hits. Wow. So those three guys are carrying them. The other thing I thought about is the atmosphere in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I think that plays a big deal, or played a big deal in their wild card win, and then also the game three. Big strikeout by Kenley Jansen there. They're using Kenley Jansen in the seventh inning. Like it. Do you think he'll get a nine-out save? Uh, he No, not pitch nine innings. That'd be pretty epic. Well, does he get two saves because he went three innings and then also the game was within one run? Uh, I don't know. I'm just distracted by Dave Roberts going crazy. Yeah, so getting back to what we're talking about, atmosphere in Toronto, 99,000 fans combined at the two games, uh, the wild card game and game three. Um, and they were third uh, during the regular season in attendance in all of baseball, over 3 million fans. And then you compare that with the environment in Texas, two afternoon games, um, both sellouts, but from what I watched and highlights and listened to during the day, it didn't seem like a great uh, atmosphere in Texas. Well, Toronto just seems intimidating. I mean, well, because they throw things at you right, as well. Yeah, just um, Texas fans seem a little more laid back, I guess. Sure. What I didn't realize about Toronto um, is that their ERA was the best in the American League. Really? So th- their starting staff is is really good. And I think that's where narratives are pretty powerful. So the Blue Jays, in my mind, had kind of been like an afterthought all season. Um, and they finished with 89 wins. Last year, there was a ton of hype in my mind around them. And I think I had picked them to to win the World Series or at least make the World Series once they made the postseason. And they had 93 wins. So difference of four wins and they have a better uh, much better ERA this year you could much worse offense though 
Yeah, but I mean, the hype, you, the hype last year. I mean, the Blue Jays like slaughtered everybody in runs scored. I just think that like, um, in my mind, them beating the Rangers was like them coming out of nowhere. When really, best ERA in baseball and a really dangerous lineup. Sure. You know, it wasn't that all that surprising. I guess in retrospect. Well, if you listen to Tom from Bluebird Banter last week, he he laid that out for us. Well, I, he, I felt like he was pretty like cynical. <laughs> I think he he kind of laid out the pitching is what makes them dangerous. They have got four good starters. Yeah, um, and Liriano is kind of like a guy that could start or come in right um, when needed. I think he won them the uh, wild card game. Which are we going to talk about wild card games? Uh, we can. Uh, maybe we can do that at the end. Okay. Um, yes, Buck Showalter has some questions he needs to answer from us uh, to end each of these. Um, Series recaps, we're going to play just one audio clip from uh, from the series. And so uh, for this one, we are going to play the walk-off um, crazy play where Donaldson scored from second. So enjoy that. Another payoff. And Martin on the ground. Andrews makes a play, goes to second out there, throw to first. Oh, and what a play. But here comes the runner, Donaldson. He's safe. He's safe. He's safe. The ball game is over. Okay, moving on to our next series, which was the other American League matchup, the Indians and Red Sox. Uh, Of course, the Indians won uh, also a sweep over the Red Sox. A couple questions. Um, The first one, um, I guess not really a question, but just more of a a statement. Uh, Big Poppy, his farewell did not go as any of us would have hoped. Yeah, this honestly for me was the biggest letdown as a baseball fan. Um, I had picked the Red Sox to make the World Series. I really, really wanted a Cubs-Red Sox uh, World Series and just kind of felt like this was an empty ending to Ortiz's career. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah. in game three, I watched most of that game and just felt like in the eighth and ninth inning like they were going to um, do something. I think Ortiz came up with runner on second when they were down one. They mm-hmm. they walked him. Um, it was hilarious though because he he um or not hilarious but sad that uh, he didn't want to be walked like on ball four he like waited for the umpire right, yeah. to yeah I think you tweeted like slow pitch softball yeah. walk so yeah just kind of an empty ending to his career in what was like one of the greatest post age thirty five seasons ever I mean oh yeah. I mean, one of the best seasons ever of, right. any, of any player. Yeah, he, he just went one for nine in the series with two walks. So even individually, didn't play that well. Um, ends his career with a 404 on base percentage in the playoffs and a mm-hmm. 543 slugging percentage in the playoffs. Uh, something I thought about with Ortiz, um, A-Rod and Ortiz will be in the same Hall of Fame class now unless A-Rod makes a comeback next That's right. year. Uh, so I think, you know, Ortiz in any other class might have an easier pass the first time, but because A-Rod will be in it, like, I think those questions will be raised. Mm. Uh, some guys I think would be called hypocritical if they voted for Ortiz and not A-Rod with the steroid stuff. I don't know that there's so much more evidence with A-Rod and, uh, Manfred came out yeah. a few weeks ago and essentially, I mean, it got <laughs> overblown, but he said like, it's, there's a chance that um, it wasn't real. Yeah, his case in '03 wasn't real. So um, I think we had talked about this at the beginning of the year or in the off season, 
and I think you were saying you didn't think Ortiz was going to be a Hall of Famer. I, s- I still don't think he will, at least for the next, like for his first five years. So you that. wouldn't vote for him? Uh, I didn't know that the steroids were, that was such a question mark. Hmm. To me, he's proven he hasn't been on steroids for the last five years. Personally, I don't think he has been. So he's proven that he's good enough without them. So that complicates it. Like, yeah. whereas Bonds and Clemens, you just don't know the extent to which they were on steroids. Like, Bonds was on the track to be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. But who's to say he, like, when he started to take them and when he stopped. But Anyway, let's move on. Uh, another thing that I was intrigued by, the Indians pitching versus the Red Sox pitching, and specifically the starting pitching. So I looked up the salaries for each of the three starting pitchers and how they performed in the series. So the Red Sox have David Price at $30 million a year, Rick Porcello at $20 million per year, or $20 million this year, and Clay Buckholds at $13 million this year. Mm. Uh, do you know he's 32 years old? I did not. He's had such a weird career. Yeah, pretty bizarre. Um, so that's $63 million combined. Um, and then you look at the Indians, uh, Corey Kluber, $4.7 million, Trevor Bauer at $2 million, and Josh Tomlin at 2.2. Wow. So 8.9 million for them. And then you compare how they did in the series. Red Sox combined uh, 11 and two thirds innings pitched, 12 earned runs, 18 hits, three walks. That equals a 9.26 ERA and a 1.8 whip. And then the Indians, who were at um, 14% of the salary of the, the Red Sox, they had 16 and two thirds innings pitched, five earned runs, 13 hits, four walks equaling a 2.7 ERA and a 1.02 whip. Yeah, and that's just their starters, right? Yeah, and then, I mean, Andrew Miller was great. And he's super, or not super cheap. I think like $10 million a year. Yeah, for what he produces, he's uh, a really reasonable contract. Yeah. Uh, Cody Allen and Brian Shaw were shaky, uh, but good, especially game three. Cody Allen did not look yeah like a lockdown closer, so that could be a thing to watch in the, the ALCS. Yeah, I feel like uh, Cleveland fans are kind of hitting gold here over the last uh, two months. Mm-hmm. Um, Cavs won the finals. Uh, you have the Indians, who no one expected to to go very far after all the injuries they went through. Um, just seems like some magic in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, and you had the um, GOP convention there as well. Definitely a lot of yeah. a lot of activity. Not sure that was a good thing. Uh, LeBron was at. Game one of that series. Yeah, he threw out the first pitch. Maybe that was the the good luck they needed. The clip we have for this series is the final out to move on to the ALCS. Bradley and Pedroia, the runners. Here it comes. Fly ball. Shallow right. Chisenhall. Cleveland wins. And the Indians are headed to the American League Championship Series. They have swept the Boston Red Sox. Okay, moving on to the National League. I ranked the Dodgers and Nationals um, second, but that game's not over yet, so we should probably talk about the Cubs and Giants first. Uh, Then you'll get our instant analysis. Exactly. Uh, So Cubs, Giants, let's talk about games three and four. I think those two games are the most compelling of the playoffs so far. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yeah, for sure. 
But well, I mean, it, well, game, game five of the Dodgers uh, Nationals would be up there as well. Game uh, Game four of the Nationals Dodgers series was pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but games three and game four of uh, the Cubs series were amazing. Even as you know, I'm, I'm not a Cubs fan um, or a Giants fan. But just as a baseball fan, they were pretty amazing to watch. I'm no, not gonna lie, I did no, fall. Kate, as- Kate texted me a picture of you sleeping. I did fall asleep three. during game three. Um, did you stay up for game four? I did. Yeah, all of it. Um, but yeah, so many storylines to talk about. I guess where where I want to start is Connor Gillespie. <laughs> you know, he played with the Sox for for three seasons and was pretty mediocre. And he goes to the Giants or back to the Giants and becomes like Babe Ruth um, <laughs> for the playoffs. For the playoffs, he yeah. was not very good during the regular season. Yeah, I, I think uh, I was listening to um, an interview with Jim Deshays, the Cubs uh, color guy, uh, and he had an interesting point. He he was being asked about sort of um, playoff heroes, unexpected playoff heroes, and how they kind of come out of nowhere. You think about the Giants with, you know, Cody Ross back in 2010, Marco Scudero, um, just all sorts of guys. Uh, Travis Ishikawa come out of the woodwork and um, the Shea's point was that in the postseason teams are far less likely to let the other team's stars beat them so uh, they're going to pitch around maybe hmm. uh, Brandon Crawford batting fifth to get the Gillespie batting sixth more often and I'm not sure that I didn't go back and look to see if that actually happened in the Cubs series but I thought it was an interesting point certainly not by the end of the series right yeah you uh you just have more opportunities if you're. Yeah, that could have happened with um, Murphy last year. Right. I don't know. Was he hitting behind Cespedes? Um. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. So Gillespie, I've actually done quite a bit of research uh, on him. Uh, Thirty-one plate appearances in September. Just four starts at third base in September for the Giants. Eduardo Nunez, his. Um, been the starting third baseman. Another former White Sox. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 29-year-old, a lot of speed, um, but he was sidelined with a hamstring injury, was still on the roster, but um, only pinched at once in the, the series. Gillespie for the whole playoffs, 8 for 19, 1 homer, 1 triple, 6 RBIs, 421 on base, uh, 684 slugging. So maybe a little exaggerated in how good he was. Um, like I mean, when when but- I went to look at those numbers, I thought, uh, like that, only two extra base hits. You bet at five hundred. Uh, four twenty. I think it's nine of eighteen. Eight for nineteen. No, eight for nineteen. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so you play three or four more games, he might come back down to like. Oh sure. His level. But I mean, the thing that he hit it off a roll to Shetman. Exactly. Yeah. So we're gonna get to that in a second. I actually came up with a um uh, equivalent of Connor Gillespie for the last five postseasons. Hmm. Uh, so last year, Daniel Murphy. Uh, went 19 for 58 with seven home runs, 724 slugging, by far the best uh, version of Gillespie. Uh, 2014, Mike Morse mm-hmm. with the Giants, 500 slugging percentage in 22 plate appearances. 2013, Shane Robinson with the Cardinals. Really? He had a good postseason. Uh, so this was a week one, but five for 16 with one homer and one double. Was he their starting center fielder? I'm not sure. That's a lot of uh, at-bats, though, if he wasn't. Um, so the the thing with these comps is the player has to be terrible to begin with. Sure. And, of course, like with Murphy and Morris, that's a little grayer. Um, but some years, like, it just doesn't hold as true. 
Um, but anyway, he was 2013. 2012 is Delman Young, uh, 15 for 48 with three home runs and two doubles. He was the ALCS MVP uh, that year. Mm-hmm. And 2011, Jerry Harrison. Uh, this is my favorite one. 15 for 39 with six doubles for the Brewers. Uh, the Brewers were his eighth team, and he got 39 at bats with 15 hits hmm. in a in a postseason. Six doubles. All those numbers are crazy. So anyway, those are my uh, Gillespie comps. Um, kind of a bummer that we don't get to see Gillespie continue to see if it's like because Murphy last year got to play way more games. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't even think the Giants will consider bringing him back as their starting third he baseman. Did, oh, not starting third baseman. He he played the whole season as like a bench player for the Giants. The moment for me where I just said, what the heck is going on? He made this like running barehanded. I don't know if it was a bunt or just kind of a weak hit down the line, but just like this gold glove caliber play when that's always been the knock on him. is Not good defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to examine is the bullpen use in um, games three and game four. So the bottom of the eighth in game three and the top of the ninth in game four are nearly identical. Mm-hmm. Fascinating to me how similar they are uh, in opposite directions. So the bottom of the eighth in game three, the Cubs are up three to two and you've got Belt, Posey, and Pence coming up for the Giants. Uh, Travis Wood was in the game uh, in the seventh, so Madden left him in to face uh, belt gives up a single to belt Hector Rondon comes in to face Posey uh, walks him and then with nobody out in the eighth inning winners on first and second up by one Madden goes with Chapman strikes out Pence who looked awful mm-hmm. in the series and to end the year against the Dodgers and then uh, Gillespie comes up and rips a triple they go up 5-3 Bryant ties it in the the top of the ninth with a two-run homer but Giants end up winning. And then let's look at the top of the ninth in game four. It was 5-2. to two. Giants were winning. Bryant, Rizzo, and Zobris coming up. Same spot in the order, 2-3-4, as uh, Belt, Posey, and Pence. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Law starts the inning, uh, replaces Matt Moore, who pitched a great game. Uh, Law, who I don't uh, particularly like very much. I picked up on that. It was pretty annoying. He gave up a weak single to Bryant. And then Bochi brings in Javi Lopez to face Rizzo. Rizzo walks. Then they bring in Sergio Romo to face Zobrist. Uh, gives up a double. Uh, then he then uh, Madden sends up Coglin to pinch hit for Russell. So Bochi brings in Will Smith to face Coglin, lefty on lefty. Of course, Madden knew he was going to do that, so he sends up Contreras, Wilson Contreras, right hand batter. He gets a single. Uh, then Hayward bunts. Should have been a double play, but. Crawford throws it away. Hayward gets the second. And then Hunter Strickland comes in, the fifth uh, pitcher in the inning for the Giants. He comes in, gives up a single to Baez. Cubs go up 6-5. to five. Um, And then Chapman closes it out in the bottom of the ninth. So, Paul, I guess my questions are, after laying that out, if you were the managers of each individual team, how would you have handled those situations? Yeah, I, I don't think I just based on what I've seen you post on Twitter, I don't put as much fault on the managers as you do. Looking back, uh, I guess Chapman's numbers with runners on base are pretty terrible compared to uh, when he comes in, there's nobody on base. So I could, you could maybe make the argument that um, he should have started that inning if you're going to use him. 
Uh, I like, I'm a huge fan of using your closer um, or your best relief pitcher when the situation warrants. And I think it did. Um, so you agree with bringing Chapman in there? In the eighth, yes. Um, and Bochi, I feel like the context there is like the Giants bullpen is awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you just go back and watch some of the pitches that Sergio Romo is throwing, I think the pitch that Zobers set the double on, or the triple on, double or triple? Double. The pitch that he hit, the double on, and the pitch before that were literally like 84 mile an hour like lob balls. They, <laughs> like they, they did nothing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Derek Law had been better, but all, all four or five of those guys are not Chapman's. And so I, I actually don't fault Bochi for trying to find a guy who's hmm. already in a rhythm. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great viewing experience, so I don't argue f- from that perspective. Sure. I would have brought Chapman in to start the eighth. If you were willing to do that mm-hmm. after two guys were on, I don't think closers do well when you bring him in with runners on base, unless you're Mariana Rivera. Right. Uh, so I guess Madden knows that now, and so he probably won't do it again. Um, so I would have brought Chapman in to start the eighth. Uh, I thought Boshi really botched game four. I think to start the inning with Law didn't make sense to me. I mean, he's got one career save. It felt kind of like they were trying to get by. They are up three you know, Law was pitching well, like, let's give it to him. And if you're going to give it to him, give it to him. I mean, Bryant's ball wasn't hit that hard. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand bringing Lopez in. Um, but once you bring Lopez in, you have to, like, that just starts a, a cycle of going to get the the next guy, the next yeah. specialist. The at-bat that made that ending was Rizzo's walk. Yeah. That was a great at-bat. Great at-bat. Um, I didn't think Lopez was that, like, his stuff wasn't that great. No, but Rizzo had struggled. I, I probably would have brought in um, uh, Will Smith. Yeah, I, you can make earlier. that argument. Yeah. I just think the herky-jerky nature of it um, helped the Cubs a lot. I Joe Madden uh, had an interview today on my way to work, and he said that before the series even started, he knew that Bochy was going to manage that way, and that's why they took one less pitcher and one more hmm. position player so that he could burn a guy like Coglin in that situation. Um, and it wouldn't hurt him. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, looking at the Cubs' offense, they really struggled in the series. You look at their three, four, five, and six hitters combined. Um, eight for seventy-three. So Rizzo, Zobris, Russell, and Hayward. Eight for seventy-three. That's a one ten average. Uh, no matter who they play next, the Nationals or the Dodgers, that's gotta gotta improve. Paul, you have anything else on this series? No, it's a great series. Um, yeah, I feel like we've uh, focused on Connor Gillespie and bullpen usage, but I think overall, really fun series. Javi Baez, too, is kind of his breakthrough I've, breakthrough moment. I never, or I don't recall seeing a player who has as much uh, swag as <laughs> Baez. And he's an amazing tagger. Uh, like the swipe tag is, his, I feel like, kind of his specialty. And I don't really remember ever talking about anyone else's tagging skills yeah no I, yeah i agree it's a it's a skill you didn't really know existed and i'm sure like jeter or a rod were like really good at picking balls at short and making those tags but just no one ever talked about it mm-hmm. 
So we've got a couple different clips um, from this series because it was so great. Um, game three, we're going to play the Gillespie triple to take the lead. And then um, we're going to play after that the Cubs rally in the top of the ninth um, in game four. So here those clips are. And the biggest moment of the game right here. Gillespie to right. Almora back. He can't get there. Bill scores. Here's Posey. And the Giants have taken the lead. The Cubs got exactly what they wanted. They got runners on, and they got that tying run in that batter's box, and they did it quickly. The 3-1. Lined into right field. That'll rattle around. Bryant scores easily. And it's a two-run ball game with nobody out in the ninth. Rizzo, the runner at third. Zobrist at second. And now Chris Coughlin will not bat. It'll be Wilson Contreras, a right-handed batter. And Contreras hits a ground ball up the middle. That's going to be a base hit. One run is in. Here comes Zobrist. He ties the game. A two-run single by Wilson Contreras. The ball game is tied at five. Still nobody out in the inning, and the Cubs have scored three runs. Hayward shows butt, gets it down, but hard back to the mound. To second one on the first, a wide throw by Crawford goes out of play, and Hayward will take second. And Baez hits a ground ball up the middle. That's a base hit. Hayward around third. He will score. Cubs lead 6-5. Javier Baez with a broken bat single up the middle. And the Cubs dugout jumping up and down in absolute delight. And the Cubs have had uh, a little magic wand do action going here in this inning. These young players for the Cubs are fearless. And the Cubs have stunned this crowd with a four-run ninth inning. Okay, so our last series is the Nationals and Dodgers, which is in the bottom of the eighth right now. So this is subject to change for sure. Yeah, so it's four to three, bottom of the eighth, two outs. Jansen going for that nine-out save. Okay, so um, a couple questions here. Uh, what did you make of D um, Dave Roberts deciding to go with Kershaw and Hill on short rest for games four and game five? I liked it. I thought it was a good move. Um, the only... Uh, the only thing that I was questioning at the time was matching up with the Nationals um, pitchers. So you had Kershaw. You could, you could have potentially saved him for Game 5 to go against Scherzer. Um, obviously, as we're watching it play out, that, that didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the the Dodgers starting rotation is kind of in shambles. Like Even though they're advancing, going to advance, uh, I just don't. I don't think they. Ha I don't have much confidence in in their starting staff against the Cubs. The Dodgers, you don't. Right. Huh. Uh, Kershaw is going to be awesome, but um, past that, you have yeah. Rich Hill, who hasn't made it past the third inning yet. I think he went four on game two. And then Maeda, who. Uh, yeah, know, yeah, he didn't look great. Uh, Urias is a really good pitcher. It's odd to me that they're not using him as. Uh, as a starter. Yeah, that's strictly a, to save his arm, right? Really? I know that he hadn't pitched for like 20 days before coming in game five. I would have used um, Urias in game four and Kershaw in game five. And now it looks like it's going to work out. But I think uh, Fangraphs or Joe Sheehan um, 
made a really compelling case. I think it was actually Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, uh, made a compelling case as to why they shouldn't have used Kershaw until Game 5. So you've got Game 5 um, with Scherzer pitching. You know that's going to happen. You need to win both games to advance. Uh, so Game 4, you could have pitched Urias on tons of rest at home, where he's been much better. Uh, and then you can go Kershaw on full rest for Game 5 on the road against the Nationals' best pitcher. Uh, game 4, you're facing... Ross. Uh, who's not a great pitcher, so yeah. he would have had more offense, making Urias not have to pitch that well, mm-hmm. as he would have for Game Game 5. Now, they use Rich Hill in Game 5, which wasn't really talked about all that much in the article. But, uh, yeah, I would have I went Urias Game 4 and Kershaw Game 5. Implications um, for the Cubs series are kind of interesting. Um, you know, either way, I don't think Kershaw could have gone three times, but he will pitch earlier in the series for his second because, start. Yeah, because he went earlier. Yeah, it would be short rest, I think, to pitch game one, but they'll probably just go full rest, pitch him game two. Right. Brock Stewart might pitch game one. Oh. Bloomington, Illinois yeah, personality. The, the, uh, the Dodgers are a great story. For having a massive payroll, um, they just have a kind of a cast of unlikely <laughs> heroes. You've got like Howie Kendrick in the outfield, Chase Utley's still around. Carlos Ruiz with mm-hmm. game-winning single. Yep. Then you've got like young studs mixed in too, like Seeker and Peterson and mm-hmm. um, Puig's back. So, yeah, I, I excited that they're moving on. What uh, what else did you think of this series? Seemed like Dusty outmanaged Roberts for most of the series, especially Game Four. In what ways? Uh, bullpen usage. Game Four, the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh or top of the seventh, was very difficult to watch. Roberts should have taken Kershaw out like four times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that Roberts used um, Jansen early though in Game Five. So I I don't know. I think Dave Roberts has done a really good job this year. Yeah, he, he Game Five really saved him. But yeah, I do. I do like Roberts. I was surprised Dusty used his bullpen as well as he did this mm-hmm. series. Yeah, I think the Nationals, like the Ramos and Strasburg injuries. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's sad because I think they would have. That would have been a really fun series. They've got a bright future though with Turner and Harper, who hopefully comes back. Said that about the Thunder. Healthy next year, and um, Murphy's still around. Yeah, I mean you can include. Uh, Harper in that kind of injury camp because I think that's like the only one of the only explanations that I believe in for why he's been mm-hmm. uh, not great not himself mm-hmm. alright so the clip we're going to play from this series is how it all ended in game 5 so enjoy that clip <laughs> The Los Angeles Dodgers are headed to Chicago. What a performance. Okay, Paul, so let's look ahead to the ALCS and NLCS uh, briefly. For the ALCS, will be super short because you did an interview with uh, Indians writer. Yes, Zach Meisel. 
because the the AL series ended uh, so much faster, you had a chance to t- to talk with Zach, and um, it was good stuff. So that'll be a majority of the ALCS preview. Uh, I guess. Do you have any thoughts on the ALCS? Yeah, my pick Briefly. is my, my pick is the Blue Jays. Um, I just feel like longer series. Uh, it's tough for the Indians to win four games when uh, you have Bauer and Tomlin pitching. You know, three or four out of the seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the the Blue Jays too. Um, the, the differences in home field advantages are are interesting. The the Indians were twenty eighth in attendance this year, just nineteen thousand fans per game. Blue Jays were third, like I mentioned earlier, at 41,000 fans per game. Uh, so it'll be much closer in the playoffs. I think the Indians are drawn, you know, sellout so far as uh, as Kershaw heads out to the bullpen. Uh, so it'll be it'd be cool to see those two uh, environments. Blue Jays have deeper starting pitching, but the, the Indians have Andrew Miller, who uh, is the best reliever uh, in the series. So that's the ALCS. NLCS, uh, who do you think has the advantage, Cubs or the Dodgers? Cubs for sure. Yeah, I say Cubs in five. I don't. I don't think it'll go too long. Uh, yep, Cubs, Dodgers, two great venues, two great atmospheres. Dodger Stadium and Wrigley Field should be a ratings bonanza for Fox Sports. What is Major League Baseball doing? They they gave the Cubs uh, the seven o'clock time slot for the first five games of the series. You don't agree with that? Well, it's just screwing the Indians. Well, <laughs> have more fans watch your games. Just not looking forward to uh, getting home from work and being able to catch like the last inning and a half of the American League. You'd games. rather miss Cubs. I'd rather be Dodgers. able to watch both. Like uh, maybe a. Well, if you think the series is going to end soon, then you'll see them in prime time. I suppose. Yeah, Kershaw. A lot of pressure on him. He's got to pitch well in games two and then five or six, whatever he pitches. Uh, also, the game one starter can't totally train wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Kenley Jansen versus Chapman in the, right. on the back end. That's an intriguing matchup as well. But yeah, I like. I'm going to stick with my Dodgers pick. Wow. Uh, if you hadn't made that original pick, you'd take the Cubs. I'd, yeah, certainly. But yeah, I'm taking the Dodgers. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk to to Zach, and then we'll finish it out with a couple things at the end. We're joined now on the podcast by Zach Meisel to break down the Indians and the upcoming ALCS that covers the Indians for Cleveland.com, where he also podcasts. And you can follow him on Twitter at Zach Meisel, and that last name is M-E-I-S-E-L. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, Zach, speaking for myself and and probably many others, um, I did not see an Indian sweep of the Red Sox coming. Uh, in fact, I think even though the, the Indians had home field advantage, uh, it seems like many people, again, myself included, are treating their win as an upset. Um, what were your kind of personal expectations heading into the series, and uh, do you consider it an upset? Yeah, I, I mean, you don't get to October without proving your worth. I mean, every team that reaches the postseason is, is a valuable opponent, and uh, it kind of sometimes, especially in a five-game series, I think we tend to overrate the term underdog and favorites. Uh, I think that said, I didn't expect the Indians to win the series. I thought if they were to win it, it would take four or five games. Um, 
and and I really, I mean, the sweep was that was shocking. I don't yeah. think I really, I don't think it set in until Lonnie Chisenhall squeezed that last out of Game Three. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think especially with that Red Sox offense, kind of like a sleeping giant, we all thought at some point they were going to wake up. And even when the Indians and Coco Crisp hit that home run and they went up four to one, it's like, all right, so this is going to be even more dramatic when Boston comes back. But um, I think it says something about the Indians that they were able to to kind of bear down and, and not give the Red Sox a chance to build any momentum at all. And um, they certainly enjoy proving their doubters wrong, and that's what they did. Yeah, do you feel like um, Indians fans in general are surprised or um, is it more like the way they won that's surprising to Indians fans? It's probably a little of both, depending on who you ask. I mean, I, I, they certainly have the right to be skeptical based on just the injuries that the team has endured. But I think if you've been watching all along, you'd know they're, this is a this is a deep roster. It's, it's not just a few guys at the top contributing. It's it's really 1 through 25. They need all hands on deck. So when, when you think about that, I mean, I think you would think that the Indians had a chance. I just a lot of things would have had to go their way, and I think things did go their way. But boy, if, if you're sweeping a series, uh, it's more than just just luck or or fortune or anything like that. I mean, they really they outplayed Boston. Yeah, yeah, and I was uh, I was very surprised by it, and I think uh, you know as I watched the series, one of the more intriguing players for me to watch was Andrew Miller. And I think especially coming off the um, Orioles, Zach Britton fiasco, I guess depends on how you see it in the wild card game. It was refreshing to see the Indians use arguably their best reliever, you know, in the fifth and sixth inning. And he pitched really, really well. Um, four innings, no runs. Can you talk for a bit just about Francona's philosophy around using him? And uh, is this something that he's been doing uh, since they acquired him? Yeah, I mean, the, the thought process behind it is he's your best reliever, so you want him facing the other team's best hitters when it matters the most. And it seems simple conceptually, yeah. uh, but we don't see many teams use that approach. And I think some of it is, and Francona always preaches this, if you didn't have Cody Allen and Brian Shaw and Dan Otero to be that safety net, he wouldn't be able to use Miller in the sixth or the seventh or the eighth inning. Um, but he's got trust in those other guys to kind of be the backup and, and still be able to get through those innings. I mean, Miller came in in the fifth in game one, came in in the sixth in game three. I mean, it's, you're having him face David Ortiz in a big situation in the middle of the game, knowing that Ortiz is still going to bat again. So it's not like he's forced to throw – Jeff Manship against Ortiz later okay. in the game, because if that was the case, you would probably save Miller. But because he's got uh, very adept relievers back there, he's able to, to deploy his, his number one guy where he sees fit. So I think more managers would probably do this if they had the weapons Francona has back there. Um, but uh, we, we do still see some managers fall in love with the save stat or just use that kind of traditional line of thinking where your best reliever goes in the ninth, your second best reliever goes in the eighth, your third best reliever goes in the seventh, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So uh, it's, it's you know, Francona likes to pass along credit to the relievers for it, but it's certainly 
we've seen not all managers use this approach and, and more probably should. Yeah. 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 I tend to agree. And I, I don't, you know, thinking back to his days with the Red Sox, um, I don't tend to remember, um, you know, him using Papelbon in a similar situation. So it could just be where he feels, like you said, more comfortable with a deep bullpen that maybe he didn't have in Boston. Um, uh, as you think about the, the Blue Jays series coming up, you know, not one that many of us predicted. Um, how do you see it playing out, and are there certain storylines or players that you're really intrigued by as you think about the series? Yeah, I mean, it's – I don't know. I'm terrible at predictions. I <laughs> can't remember the last time I got a postseason prediction correct. I think 2014, I went back and looked, and I got both wildcard games wrong and all four <laughs> division series wrong. Last year, I got both ALCS series wrong and the World Series wrong. So <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to be this uh, clairvoyant here or anything like that, but um, I, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is I'm always intrigued by the theory of momentum, whether it matters. You have two teams who have it. Uh, I don't know if a three or four day layoff will will hurt that, but the Blue Jays have been swinging the bats really well, and that lineup is is pretty scary. The Indians have been doing everything well, uh, especially pitching. Um, and these guys are going to have. I mean, if Corey Kluber loves to pitch every five days, well, he had ten days off before his start in Game Two, and he's going to have what is it a, a week off before his start in Game One of this next year. So it's hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts. I, I think. It really boils down to, for me at least, the, the Indians starters against that lineup because, I, you know, it's, it's the way they're setting this up, knowing they have a bullpen day in game four, how quick of a hook is Francona going to have with his starter in game three, with his starter in game five? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of build up to that game and how they recover from it. And so... Uh, the strategy will be fascinating. It certainly would behoove the Indians if they got some quality starts out of Bauer and Tomlin. Um, and that's that's a tall order against a lineup this deep and this powerful. Does it sound like Carrasco is going to be able to to give the Indians anything, or will he be on the ALCS roster? Carrasco's out for the year. Uh, Salazar okay. is not going to be – he's not going to be on the ALCS roster. I guess they're still – a chance that they made the World Series, he could be a part of things. Um, but he's still he's, he's pitching down in Arizona, and uh, he's not ready to go yet. Well, before I let you go, Zach, I did want to give you a, a special shout out. Um, probably my favorite uh, baseball column from all of this year was your Father's Day column. Uh, I, I uh, actually teared up reading it, and if I had any sort of vote. Or if there was such an award, I would uh, I would vote that as the best baseball talent this year. And so I really do appreciate your work and appreciate you joining us. And would encourage all our listeners to go uh, to go check out Zach's work. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, that was maybe my favorite piece to write of the year. And uh, Field of Dreams is always one of my favorite movies. And um, I get in arguments with other baseball writers all the time about whether the premise of it is, is stupid or if it's touching <laughs> and I <laughs> have a soft spot for it. And um, the actor who played uh, the main character's father, Kevin Costner's father in the movie, 
um, actually wrote a book about fathers and sons in baseball, and somehow he he ended up reading it, the column, and, and he sent me a copy of his book with a nice little note, and it just you know, wow. kind of like reaffirmed that um, a, a lot of people can relate to just what baseball means to, to the father-son relationship or, or the mother-son, father-daughter, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's kind of cool because I think if, if you love baseball and if you have fond memories of, of growing up playing it with a family member or just in your backyard or whatever, I mean, it's, I, I hoped to kind of strike that chord with, with the readers. And uh, certainly as a fan of Field of Dreams, it was, it was pretty cool having uh, yeah. Dwyer Brown reach out. Yeah, that's that's a really neat story. I, I didn't realize that, and yeah, speaking for myself, it was it was really touching. So appreciate appreciate that, and appreciate you joining us, Zach. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Zach for hopping on with us. I know it's a super busy time of year for him, so I appreciate him taking a few minutes to to chat about the Indians with us. I have just a few things left here in the podcast. Yep. Uh, so first up. Ratings update. I'm a huge sports TV ratings nerd. Playoffs are drawn pretty well so far. It's kind of a, a hard thing to gauge with all the different networks and how they're doing against each other from previous years. Uh, the Cubs and Giants were definitely uh, a boom for MLB Network and FS1. Uh, the Game 4 uh, broadcast was the most watched in FS1's history. Uh, had 6.3 million viewers that tuned in uh, MLB network for their two games. Um, I think they had the Cubs giants game two and then Dodgers nationals game three. They were up 75% for both of those games compared to their games last year. And then the Canadian viewership also adds a wrinkle into it uh, with, you know, one of the teams uh, and the ALCS coming up from Canada. Those, their ratings don't really feed well into the American Nielsen system. Uh, so that'll be difficult to to monitor and to gauge versus or to measure versus past years. Um, Cubs Giants six point three million viewers for Game Four. Like I said, FS1 record. Paul, how many people you think uh, watched Monday Night Football this past week? Um, I'll say five million. Nine million. Yeah. And how many people you think watched Cowboys Forty Niners from a couple weeks ago on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, uh, ten million. Twenty-two million. Gosh, that sucks. So, four hundred percent more than Cubs Giants game four. I thought football viewership was on the wane. It's down a little bit, but still definitely king in America. So that's ratings. I'll try to to update that each playoff podcast. Uh, next up, our fantasy update. Thanks to the fifty-nine of you that played. I guess fifty-eight, fifty-seven, not including us. Thanks, 57 of you. Uh, you can check the results at afootinthebox.com. We're getting hammered. Have a tab up there. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of season left. I think Jason and Eric are winning so far, so congrats to them. More the of the, the story, w- our listeners are way smarter than us. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, the winner gets $50, 25 from each of us, unless one of us wins. And then it's just 25 from the other. I looked at each uh, position to see who was the most popular choice. Do you want to know this, Paul? Uh, I'm going to guess it was... No, I'm, uh, position by position. So catcher, who do you think was the most popular? Russell Martin? No. Buster Posey, 40%. Mm. First base? Rizzo? Yep, 67%. Very high. Second base? 
Uh, Murphy? Yep, 38%. Corey Seager is the shortstop at 28%. Third base, Chris Bryant at 61%. Outfield, uh, Mookie Betts, 75%. Cespedes at 40%. Harper at 36%. DH? Ortiz? Yep. A lot of disappointed Ortiz uh, supporters. 56% of the uh, rosters had him. Starting pitchers, Kershaw, 70%, Baumgartner, 52%, and Max Scherzer at 46%. And then closers. Britain. He was at 70%. There's one higher. Chapman. Yep, 77%. So Chapman was the highest of any any player on 77% of the rosters. Uh, so check the results, like I said, at footinthebox.com. All right, our last thing bring him back five seconds or less. I have the questions, so I'll ask Paul five questions. He has five seconds or less to answer each one. Paul, you ready? Shoot. All right, first question, and all these are playoff-themed, by the way. First question. How many home runs have been hit in the playoffs so far? 38. Who is the only player with multiple home runs? Uh, boy. Um, Daniel Murphy. <laughs> How many walks have been given up before tonight? 94. Next question. How many All-Star games was David Ortiz selected to? Eight. How many World Series have the Cubs played in since 1908? Three. Last question. How do you spell Connor Gillespie? C-O-N-O-R-G-I-L-A-S-P-I-E. Okay. How'd I do? Decent. Connor's correct. C-O-N-O-R, and then you miss one L in Gillespie. G-I-L-L-A-S-P-I-E. Gil as pie. Vince Goy always pronounced it Gillespie. I don't know if that was right or not. I don't think so. Okay, so first question, how many home runs have been hit? You said 38. It's 35. Dang. With Chris Heisey's, the last one. Here for the Nationals. Um, who's the only player to, with multiple home runs? Murphy doesn't have any, I don't think. Yeah, I blinked. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion has three. He's the only player with multiple home runs. Uh, how many walks have been given up before tonight? You said 94. It's 83. Mm. How many All-Star games was Ortiz selected to? You said eight. It's 10. And then how many World Series have the Cubs played in since 1908? You said three. It's actually seven. They've lost seven World Series in a row. 1910, 1918, 1929, 1932, 1935, 1938, and 1945. Hmm. So there you go. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there. Send us emails at uh, you can also go to our website at footinthebox.com. Paul, do you have anything else? I do not. October baseball is the best baseball. Let's keep enjoying it. A reminder, folks, keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you after the championship series.